Change the time on us, didn't tell us. It's five o'clock there now, here, and this is Enlightenment Radio coming into the Kiev area. And we're starting here at 11 to noon in the USA. We haven't changed our time. I hate that time change anyway. What good does it do? Makes me get up earlier. I don't know what it does. I always feel like I'm getting up too early. You've got a load of news today. Now, I think it's all in your favor. I think uh, we've got some uh, interesting uh, backstabbing going on, like Julius Caesar, A2 Brute, around the uh, little man, Dr. Evil, and many me. He's so blasé. <laughs> He's still acting blasé about his losses. He's losing his ass. And I was waiting to see if that was propaganda or if that was true. And according to sources that we have, it's true. He's losing his ass. Okay, we're going to start off with um, some CBS News, a popular show over here called 60 Minutes. I'd say about 90% of it is uh, left-leaning, <laughs> anti-Trump, anti conservatism, anti-capitalism, but most of it is, some of it can be, how shall I say, they take their liberality to edit the program, but this is a good interview with a, a woman in the state of Georgia and how the relationship with Georgia and Russia and, Georgia and uh, the Georgians is going. And I have this idea, we're going to take back Crimea too. We're going to take this place back over where it was. The day Russia invaded one of its neighbors, waged a bloody war, and seized a fifth of that neighbor's territory, fear and shock rippled throughout the region. We're not talking about Russia's invasion of Ukraine, rather the small country of Georgia. That invasion was more than 15 years ago. Vladimir Putin's playbook hasn't changed much. Today, Georgia, which shares a 556-mile border with Russia, is still trying to remove the grip of the Kremlin. Days after Russia invaded Ukraine, Georgia submitted an application to become part of the European Union with hopes of gaining a Western insurance policy to protect it. Tonight, you will hear from the president of Georgia, Salome Zorabashvili. The daughter of Georgian refugees raised in Paris she says that Vladimir Putin has launched a quiet invasion of Georgia in an attempt to extend Russia's reach. The story will continue in a moment. The war in Ukraine is now moving into its third year. How is the war there impacting life here? It is, of course, a reminder of uh, everything that this country has gone through. Uh, and uh, of the fact that it's uh, always uh, an immediate uh, danger and threat. It's uh, already uh, part of the reality that Russia is testing the ground. You think the Russians are testing the ground right now in Georgia? Right now. How so? Here, uh, their way, their easy way uh, is the hybrid war. A hybrid war that has included online and televised disinformation campaigns and anti-Western propaganda pumped into Georgia, a favorite tactic of the Kremlin. Georgians have seen it before. 
In 2008, three weeks before Russia launched its first airstrike in Georgia, Moscow hit the country with a series of cyber attacks. The five-day bloody battle that followed ended with Russia seizing 20% of Georgia's land. President Zorabashvili says the mostly muted international reaction to that war laid the groundwork for Russia's invasion of Ukraine and Vladimir Putin's plan to bring former Soviet republics back into the Russian fold. Today, a fifth of Georgia is occupied by the Russian military and an estimated 8,000 Russian troops are inside the Georgian border. We traveled with Georgian security forces 37 miles outside the capital of Tbilisi into the tiny village of Kervaleti. Today, it is a rural no-man's land. Oh, my. Across a rickety bridge, we found an abandoned stretch of farmland choked off by barbed wire. Warning signs to stay out. Oh, there she is. And a defiant 87-year-old Valya Benishvili. The Russians have told me, this is our land. And I said, no, our land is in Russia. This is our land, not yours. You have no rights here. How long have you been surrounded by the barbed wire? For 15 years. In 2008, her land was seized by Russian troops. The grandmother of four still refuses to surrender her home. Cut off from family, she relies on outsiders and a stick to deliver food and the medicine she needs. She whispered to us that the Russians were watching us from over that hill. Are you afraid of the Russians? Yes, I'm afraid of them. What if they take me and detain me? Nobody can help me. I'm alone. When it's only a couple of them, I can always answer them and fight back. But when it's a lot of them, there is nothing I can do. Georgia is bordered on the north by Russia, the east by Azerbaijan, and the south by Armenia and Turkey. The bridge between the Black and Caspian Sea, an important route for natural gas and oil. High up in the mountains of Georgia, we saw another reason the small country of nearly 4 million is crucial to the Kremlin. A long line of trucks, many of them carrying European cargo across the border into Russia. United Nations data shows that since the war began, everything from cars to chemicals have rolled into Russia through Georgia, some in violation of Western sanctions, a lifeline for Putin's regime. There is traffic coming into Georgia, too. Thousands of Russian nationals entering the country in cars and on foot, extending for miles and arriving in waves, first at the beginning of the Ukraine war in 2022, and again last September when fighting-age men fled Russia's mandated military service. But some Georgians worry Putin loyalists could be entering the country too, laying the groundwork for Russia's next move. When Vladimir Putin invaded Ukraine in 2022, he said it was to, among other things, protect the Russians living there. President Zorbashvili fears Putin could launch a similar campaign in Georgia. Since the war, Georgia has become home to 100,000 Russians. It's very unnerving when in your own country you have people that are talking the language of the enemy uh, and that believe that they're at home. The Russians believe that they are at home. They're behaving and believing that they are very much at home. Uh, so th there is a fine line, and that line has to be kept so that we do not have incidents in the future that would allow uh, Russia to use their favored doctrine of protecting uh, Russian-speaking uh, citizens. So why doesn't Georgia just say no more Russians through our border? That is a question for the authorities. Aren't you the authority? No, I don't have the executive powers, and unfortunately. The executive power to control Georgia's borders is squarely in the hands of its prime minister, Arakli Garabashvili. Publicly, he said that he supports the country's bid to move away from neighboring Russia and join the European Union. But his actions and inactions tell a different story. Since the Ukraine invasion, Prime Minister Garabashvili agreed to resume flights between Tbilisi and Moscow for the first time in almost five years. He's also failed to adopt strong sanctions against Russia. Critics of the Prime Minister accuse him of being in the pocket of a Georgian oligarch, 
stupid Zina Ivanshvili, a billionaire who helped get him elected. The 67-year-old oligarch made his fortune in Russia and served a brief stint as Georgia's prime minister. His $50 million home looms over Tbilisi, a reminder of his wealth and power. Last summer, European lawmakers called for sanctions against the oligarch for his, quote, links to the Kremlin, a connection that could undermine Georgia's EU bid. We're going in with um, a government that's completely corrupt, a government that's pro-Russian, clearly anti-Western, um, clearly does not really care about what the majority of the population wants and needs. Anna Tavadze and Dachi Medadze are members of the shame movement, a group with thousands of young followers working towards Georgia's entry into the European Union. If Russia wins, it means loss of freedom, loss of everything that we fought for in the past 30 years, basically. It's a fight for values. It's a fight for where you want to stand in this uh, big fight for democracy. As soon as West in any form, be it the U.S. partnership, be it uh, European Union, is not represented in this country, Russia will fill the void right away. They say the influx of Russians is already changing the face of Georgia. What are they doing if we look at it? They're buying apartments, they're buying private property, they're opening up businesses. Um, their actions changed uh, Georgian economy. The Russians are buying apartments here in every 33 minutes. They're purchasing a piece of land in every 27 minutes. Mm -hmm. And they're registering a business in every 26 minutes. Mm -hmm. So. I think we're on the brink of very dangerous situation here in Georgia. According to public records, Russians have registered 21,000 businesses in Georgia over the last 18 months and launched five new Russian-only schools, none of which are licensed by Georgia's Department of Education. Russians have driven rent up nearly 130%. Prices for everything from food to cars have gone up 7%. Over 100,000 Georgians have left the country because many of them can't afford to live here anymore. I've heard this described as a quiet invasion. Quiet invasion, yeah. There's a risk of the economic divergence, there's a risk of military intervention, and there's a risk of uh, Georgia's statehood being destroyed. Emmanuel Lisnev, George Smorgulenko, and Pavel Bakadov don't look like much of a threat. All Russians in their 20s, they fled their country for fear of being drafted or imprisoned for speaking out against Putin. They now live in Georgia and work at this Russian-owned comedy club in Tbilisi. I try uh, said I'm against the war in Russia. Uh, I was beaten and uh, after that gone to prison uh, three times. So three times you went to jail? Uh, yes, yes, three times. I believe and I know that Russians actually against the war. You think that most Russians are against the war? Yeah, just scared, really scared. Have any of you had any aggression towards you because you're Russian? Actually, I have a big writing on the wall. It is the biggest thing I see from my window, just big Russians go home. There is no subtlety in spray paint. Anti-Russian graffiti blankets the city along with support for Ukraine. On crumbling walls, the Georgian flag is joined with those of the European Union, the U.S., and NATO. Over 80% of the Georgian public backs entry into the EU, as does Georgian President Zorbashvili. But her position has become increasingly ceremonial as the country moves towards a parliamentary government. After she went to Europe to try and pave the way for Georgia's EU bid, Prime Minister Arakli Garabashvili accused her of violating the Constitution, banned her from traveling to Europe, and tried but failed to impeach her. President Zorabashvili has defiantly continued to fly to Europe to meet with leaders on her own dime. It doesn't seem like the Prime Minister is interested in joining the EU. Well, that's a question that the whole population is asking, whether they really want it or whether it's lip service. This is a critical time. Do you feel like the West, particularly the U.S., has been responsive enough and supportive enough of Georgia in this moment? I don't think so. Uh, and I would take one concrete example. Uh, I've been a president now for five years. Uh, and I've not managed uh, to have 
any form of meeting at my level, which be the president or the vice president, uh, even through a phone call. I understand that there are more urgent issues, but I think that some more public recognition is needed. Recognition of? Of the fact that the United States is supporting our uh, candidate status within the European Union. I know that that is the language that uh, the U.S. has with our European partners, uh, but that being repeated by at the highest level uh, would be uh, meaningful for the uh, Georgian population. The EU has laid out a list of requirements for Georgia to become a candidate for membership. The conditions include tackling corruption and lessening the economic and political influence of domestic oligarchs. A decision is expected by the end of the year. What happens to Georgia if the EU denies the bid? It would be a big victory for Russia. A victory Valya Vanishvili refuses to give them. 87 years old, she says she is holding her ground for herself and for Georgia. I remember the year George Bush said, you can't do this, you can't do that, shook his finger at Russia, and they just went ahead and did it anyway. Oh, he was a real strong leader, that George Bush was, yes, sir. So I hope they get that uh, accomplished. I've got an upcoming story, though, that's going to blow your mind. This uh, puppet, this uh, Dr. Evil and Mini-Me, that's crumbling around behind him. It is crumbling behind them. And they're, uh, it's kind of like Julius Caesar. His close comrades are crumbling around him. You'll be sticking by for this story. It's a good one. listening to Enlightenment Radio along your journey for a purpose. To find your mission, travel to enlightenment-radio.com. There you will discover your highest spiritual path, then say goodbye to the Milky Way, where your new kingdom will be awaiting you. Here's the keys to Galaxy 9. it off like it's nothing. Well, he can't keep doing that because he's losing his ass. There are so many uh, statistics here you're going to hear. I hope this isn't double exposed. I see a two, two lines here. Anyway, I hope this is a good interview. Listen sharply. His key men are uh, dropping. They're, they're losing faith in his non-strategy to do anything about it. And so you'll hear different names and different people that are strong arms around him, and they are, he's slowly slipping his support. Welcome to The Journalist. Russia continues to play its last cards in the Ukrainian war. After recent successes on the front lines in Avdivka and other parts of the Donetsk region of Ukraine, the Russian army's record military losses have put Moscow in a critical situation. Despite the dire situation, Russian leader Vladimir Putin has not abandoned his flawed war strategies on Ukrainian soil. But Russia's erratic behavior is not going unnoticed by the leaders of the countries Putin considers allies. World leaders 
Even the heads of state of countries that Russia considers allies are no longer supporting Vladimir Putin's war policies. In recent days, the most prominent of the world leaders who have openly voiced their calls for peace against Putin has been Alexander Lukashenko, the leader of Belarus. Alexander Lukashenko, the leader of Belarus, and an ally of Russian President Vladimir Putin, said in a recent statement that Russia and Ukraine have reached a stalemate on the front lines of their war and that the two sides should sit down and negotiate to end the clash. Lukashenko emphasized that there are enough problems on both sides and in general the situation has now reached a serious deadlock and no one can do anything about it except peace. Russia's military forces will not be able to significantly strengthen or advance their positions, the Belarusian leader added. Lukashenko, who has provided his country's territory as a launching pad for Putin's full-scale invasion of Ukraine in 2022, said that Ukraine's demands for Russia to leave its territory must be resolved at the negotiating table so that no one dies. The Belarusian leader's statements were characterized as a move that even Russian leader Vladimir Putin did not expect. Although Lukashenko has not publicly supported the war in Ukraine, he has so far stood behind Putin's moves. However, now even Lukashenko, Putin's closest ally, was emphasizing that Putin's army should stop and that Putin's moves were wrong. In other words, Putin should accept defeat. Lukashenko was portrayed in the international political arena as having stabbed Putin in the back during the war in Ukraine. One of the clearest proofs of this was the Belarusian leader's statement that Russia should give the stop command. It is said that Putin is slowly losing Belarus, which he now sees as an ally, and that the Russian leader now has to make a difficult decision on this issue. However, it is estimated that Putin will not easily forget a harsh move by Lukashenko and that the Russian leader is not in its best military condition to respond to it at the moment. In other words, Putin seems to be unable to stop using Belarus as a launching pad at the moment due to the serious problems of the Russian military. That is why Putin's approach to peace talks, as Lukashenko has suggested, is seen as reasonable by most of the countries of the world. Ukraine also made a critical assessment of the peace and negotiation talks. At a meeting attended by more than 60 national security advisers, Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky reiterated that the 10-point peace plan, which calls for the restoration of Ukraine's territorial integrity, is the only way to end the war. The coincidence of Volodymyr Zelensky and Alexander Lukashenko's calls for peace signals the beginning of a critical period for Vladimir Putin. Hungary was another party that thought that the war between Ukraine and Russia should end and peace talks should start as soon as possible. So another shock to Putin came from the Hungarian government. Hungarian Prime Minister Viktor Orban emphasized that Ukraine cannot defeat Russia and that the EU should therefore prepare a plan B to deal with the conflict. In an interview with Hungarian state radio, leader Viktor Orban made it clear that the EU's strategy for the Ukrainian war has failed. Hungary's Oxford-educated leader is seen as an ally of Putin. He has blocked EU funds to Ukraine since Kiev put the Hungarian OTP bank on the list of international sponsors of the war. However, the Hungarian leader's recent statements were more likely to attract attention with his peace rhetoric rather than seeing Putin as an ally. Lithuania also commented on Hungary's interesting stance. The Vilnius Putin's moves were wrong. In other words, Putin should accept defeat. Lukashenko was portrayed in the international political arena as having stabbed Putin in the back during the war in Ukraine. One of the clearest proofs of this was the Belarusian leader's statement that Russia should give the stop command. It is said that Putin is slowly losing Belarus, which he now sees as an ally, and that the Russian leader now has to make a difficult decision on this issue. However, it is estimated that Putin will not easily forget a harsh move by Lukashenko and that the Russian leader is not in its best military condition to respond to it at the moment. You see, he's not listening to him. Those are three major backers for, for Putin. He's not listening to him. He's just in denial. And uh, they're going to do something about it. This is how leaders go down. And he's close to it. In other words, Putin seems to be unable to stop using Belarus as a launching pad at the moment. 
due to the serious problems. He's under an illusion. That is why Putin's approach to peace talks, as Lukashenko has suggested, is seen as reasonable by most of the countries of the world. Ukraine also made a critical assessment of the peace and negotiation talks. At a meeting attended by more than 60 national security advisors, Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky reiterated that the 10-point peace plan, which calls for the restoration of Ukraine's territorial integrity, is the only way to end the war. The coincidence of Volodymyr Zelensky and Alexander Lukashenko's calls for peace signals the beginning of a critical period for Vladimir Putin. Hungary was another party that thought that the war between Ukraine and Russia should end and peace talks should start as soon as possible. So they're all telling him peace talks is now inevitable. you got to stop this madness. You're in a bubble. Your ego has gotten in the way. You're losing your ass. And I think that's what's surprising. Now what he's battling is his ego. And if Zelensky is willing for a 10-point peace plan, he's going to settle out for his country, then we can get back to normal. But we have a leader over here. I think what uh, Putin is waiting to see if we're going to back him anymore. And if we don't, this is going to give Zelensky no leverage to have a peace talk. So another shock to Putin came from the Hungarian government. Hungarian Prime Minister Viktor Orban emphasized that Ukraine cannot defeat Russia and that the EU should therefore prepare a plan B to deal with the conflict. In an interview with Hungarian state radio, leader Viktor Orban made it clear that the EU's strategy for the Ukrainian war has failed. Hungary's Oxford-educated leader is seen as an ally of Putin. He has blocked EU funds to Ukraine since Kiev put the Hungarian OTP bank on the list of international sponsors of the war. However, the Hungarian leader's recent statements were more likely to attract attention with his peace rhetoric rather than seeing Putin as an ally. Lithuania also commented on Hungary's interesting stance. The Vilnius government stated that Hungary's approach was not sincere. In this critical period, when peace talks are frequently mentioned, the assistance from the West is seen as crucial for Ukraine's ability to defend itself against the Russian invasion. Lithuanian President Jitanas Norseda said Orban should stop flirting with Russia, pointing to the Hungarian leader's meeting with Putin in mid-October. So why was it that suddenly the majority of leaders were demanding that Putin should stop this war and that peace talks should start immediately? Of course, one of the most critical factors was Russia's historic losses in Avdivka. John Kirby, spokesman for the US National Security Council, said that Moscow had suffered significant losses in its new offensive against Ukraine. Kirby added that the Russian military lost at least 125 armored vehicles and more than a battalion's worth of equipment around the Ukrainian town of Avdivka in the eastern Donetsk region. At a press conference at the White House, it was emphasized that the demoralization of Russian forces was not surprising. I saw a picture of it. It looks like a cemetery for tanks. Just demolished 125 of their best tanks. This, he better pay attention. According to Ukraine's Israeli intelligence directorate, the Russian losses were in direct proportion to the White House's statement. According to Ukrainian intelligence figures, the Russian army has lost 100 tanks and about 250 other military armored vehicles in recent days on the front lines of Avdivka and Donetsk alone. In addition, in the last 24 hours alone, five Russian tanks, including a T-90, were destroyed in the Avdivka area. Indeed, Russia went through hell in Avdivka. In addition to these losses, in the last two weeks alone, the Russian army has left about 15,000 soldiers to die in the Avdivka settlement for the sake of a hutch. Did you hear that? Let me repeat that. The Russians have left 15,000 soldiers left behind to die. That is one sick man. Avdivka area. Indeed, Russia went through hell in Avdivka. In addition to these losses, in the last two weeks alone, the Russian army has left about 15,000 soldiers to die in the Avdivka settlement for the sake of a hutch. The loss of 15,000 of Putin's soldiers normally attracted the attention of the Kremlin, as well as the leaders of the world countries. According to the latest war reports, after the start of the offensive in the direction of Avdivka, 
Russian troops managed to achieve some success in the area of the village of Krasnohorivka, north of this settlement. There, the invaders took up positions along part of the railroad tracks. But these historic and record losses of the Russian army overshadowed the partial successes. In fact, even these activities, which Russia is touting as success, are now under Ukrainian control. Most recently, in the south of Avdivka, Russian troops tried to seize a sand quarry north of the settlement of Opitna, but at the moment, the Russians have not succeeded in this. It is known that the Russians are suffering more than 900 casualties per day in these firing lines. US and British intelligence believe that if the Russians continue this way, a much worse situation awaits Moscow. This is because Ukraine continues its offensive in the Donetsk region without slowing down. The 114th Separate Motorized Rifle Brigade deployed in temporarily occupied Donetsk, killed 89 Russian soldiers and wounded 205 others in just one day. The first separate motorized rifle brigade temporarily retook Kalmyuska. In Kalmyuska, 67 Russian soldiers were killed and 166 wounded. On the same day, the 15th separate motorized rifle brigade killed 61 invaders of the RF armed forces in Roshchinska, Samara region and wounded 118 people. It is worth noting that not all units participating in all these clashes are listed, only those with which I was in contact. In addition, there is a permanent reinforcement of the personnel with military personnel to support the combat capability of the units. At the moment, the reinforcement of military personnel from Kupiansk district is quite noticeable. Both sides aim to strengthen their armies and dominate Donbass. Meanwhile, Alexander Stuppen, spokesman for the Joint Coordination Press Center of the Defense Forces of the Tauria region, said that the Russian army lost more than 6,500 servicemen in the Donetsk region in just one week. Stuppen also added that the occupiers are holding up to 40,000 troops near Avdivka. In other words, despite all these losses, the Russian army is still not giving up its occupation policies in the direction of Donbass and was pursuing almost suicidal strategies. This is where the importance of military and financial aid to Ukraine comes to the fore again. Aid from the West is seen as crucial for Ukraine's ability to defend itself against the Russian occupation. In short, world leaders were slowly turning their backs on Russia and Ukraine was making good use of this situation and achieving significant successes on the front lines. It is likely that in the coming days, Kiev will continue to use this critical situation of the Russian army to force Moscow into peace talks. Thank you for following us. Well, that's very critical. The last thing he said there was the uh, military aid financially from the United States. I wasn't for it at first, but I'm all for it now. Right now is the time to hit. Right now is the time to hit. Putin, he's, he's, he's on his knees. He won't admit it, stands there like a fool, blasé Putin, when everybody's telling him, you've lost. It's over with. What is he to gain? Nothing. All he's always done is destruction of the people, traumatized the land, separated families, destroyed houses, destroyed livings and financial aid. There's farms waiting to be done. There's energy waiting to get going again. And we've got a leader over here named Ron Johnson who just took over the House of Congress. And he has a say. He voted down support for Ukraine earlier this year. Now he's going to be confronted by Mitch McConnell, who I can't stand, but at least he's trying to get money for the Ukraine. Now's the time to do it. These guys are going to jack around. They're going to jack, jack around until after Christmas to come up with any money. I know how they are. They're not going to give you any money till Christmas. They're not going to give you any arms or nothing. If I were Zelensky, I would make a deal real quick, somehow under the table, do something to get this, force him to make those peace talks. If the United States would say, we're going to do this and we're going to do that, then Putin would cave. He would. He's waiting to see what we're going to do. Because if we're not going to do nothing, he's going to keep doing it. That's how I see it. And this, this Johnson guy thinks he's a one-hand, one-man band. America's uh, 
poll numbers are showing more favorability toward getting this war in Ukraine over with than they did in the beginning. We didn't want nothing to do with it. But now they see what you've done and what you've... Nobody thought you had a chance. We didn't get want to get our boys killed over there, and we haven't. And we've sent the right equipment, the right stuff. I don't know who's doing it. It isn't Biden. Biden's given permission. But these uh, special jets and special tanks and special armaments coming over and the special money coming over could wipe out and stop Putin, I'd say within 30 days. He'd have to give in. If he, these leaders see that all this money and all this armament is coming over, they'll cave. That's the way I see it. So that's, uh, that was very surprising news to me. At this early of a stage, all these, you know, Hungary, Lithuania, Lewatinsky, uh, just backing away from him, trying to get him to, they're, they're really not being real honest with him because they know they'll get poisoned in the back room. If they were real honest with him, they would just get him out of there. But... <clears throat> That's not an easy task to do, I guess. Other people have tried it. Barry Maguire, famous song back in the 60s, The Eve of Destruction. The Eastern world, it is exploding. Violence flaring, bullets loading. You're old enough to kill, but not for voting. You don't believe in war, but what's that gun you're toting? And even the Jordan River has bodies floating But you tell me
Yeah, that built all the bombs. Yeah, that hide behind walls. Yeah, that hide behind desks. I just don't want you to know I can see through your masks. You that never done nothing but build to destroy. You play with my world like it's your little toy. You put a gun in my hand and you hide from my eyes. And you turn and run farther when the fast bullets fly. Like Judas of old. You lie and deceive A world war can be won You want me to believe But I see through your eyes And I see through your brain Like I see through the water That runs down my drain You fasten all the triggers For the others to fire And then you sit back and watch When the death count gets higher You hide in your mansion On the young people's blood Flows out of their bodies and is buried in the mud. He's thrown the worst fear that can ever be hurled. Fear to bring children into the world. A voice threatening my baby. Unborn and unnamed You ain't worth the blood that runs in your veins How much do I know To talk out of turn You must say that I'm young You must say I'm unlearned But there's the one thing I know I'm younger than you Even Jesus would never forgive what you do Let me ask you one question Is your money that good? Will it buy you forgiveness? Do you think that it could? I think you will find When your death takes its toll All the money you made Will never buy back your soul And I hope that you die And your death will come soon I follow your casket By the pale afternoon I watch while you're lowered Down to your deathbed And I stand over your grave Till I'm sure that you're dead Bob Dylan, Masters of War That came out in the late 60s no, early 60s. That was one of his first folk songs. Blowing in the wind, girls from North Country, down the highway, Bob Dylan's blues, a hard rain's gonna fall. Oxford Town, talking around the war, three blues. Corina, Corina, honey, just allow me one more chance and I shall be free. Those are some... <clears throat> that was probably the last album he did that was not electronic. Because the next one was uh, Highway 61 Revisited, which he did like a Rolling Stone, and a lot of people got upset because they wanted him to stay with his folk soon songs. 
Well, usually the artist makes the right decision, like Taylor Swift and her decision. And he makes a lot of sense when he puts together the end results of man-made wars and machines and those that be that run our countries and our, and our lives. You're in tune to Enlightenment Radio, one of the... Uh, one of the few people who are willing to come to the Ukraine and give you the news, give you the uh, truth and the facts. I uh, was waiting to see if all of this was propaganda, that Putin was getting defeated, whether he was losing ground, whether he was not paying attention to his losses. And then I found out it is the truth. I'm getting more sources now that uh, agree with it all the time. You are in tune to Enlightenment Radio, home of the ultimate knowledge of body, soul, and spirit, and unlimited music Enlightenment-radio.com. There you can journey through the mystical voyage and also view our schedule of programming. Thank you for listening. Floyd, Dogs of War.
The Dogs of War, performed by Pink Floyd many years ago, when the war, anti-war songs were flourishing. That was pretty heavy-duty guitar there by David Gilmore and Roger Waters. I believe Roger was with them then. That was the early Pink Floyd. So, I hope we brought you some encouraging news today because uh, I believe we only have one hurdle, and that is to get this new Robert Johnson. I know he's nobody's heard of him. <laughs> but uh, Congress does dole out the money. That's where the money comes from. They have to make the decision, and they are right now flooded with all kinds of other uh, hands out for money especially Israel, but they wanted to combine the package with the Ukraine. We'll see how it goes. I'm sure Zelensky has uh, his hands and his ideas and his mind in this because it's his, it's his hope that if we agree, at least agree, to come across with the funds within the next two months, it doesn't matter if it gets there in two months, if we agree to do it and send some more armaments, then I believe Putin will acquiesce to his fellow leaders because we're not letting up. And I hope the U.S. doesn't let you down. I really do. I hope we give you the support you need so you can return to your normal lives. That's not much money for us. It really isn't. What, 50, 60 billion they're asking for? I don't know. <clears throat> We've done worse. We give that to freaking Iran all the time. Look what they do with it. They destroy us, Israel, the Middle East, and they make havoc around the world. Terrorism. And when you're fighting the leading terrorist of the world, Dr. Evil and many me, Blase, Putin. So, on an ending note, hey, thanks for telling me the change of time. I kind of like being with you a little earlier than six. Isn't that nice? Yeah, I can be with you happy hour. <laughs> On your way home, you stop off for a cocktail. Then you listen. I don't know what your circumstances are. Kiev looks like the weather looks nice, looks beautiful, looks warmer than here. So you want to uh, stay focused. It's a spiritual battle. Get up with your prayers. See your country back to way the way it was. Visualize it. Think about it. Meditate on it. It will come to pass. This is not going to last. This is temporary. I feel it coming. I thought it was going to go on and on and on, but I feel it coming to an end. I really do. There's nothing he can do but big armaments and, and uh, what do you call them, weapons of mass destruction. That's the only thing he can start doing. If he does that, it, the, the, the focus will go from Israel to you. They will not like that. The world won't put up with it, and nobody will. So I see this personally weaving its way toward an end and a settlement. I wish you could get back Crimea. I wish you could get back some other areas that you've lost, but maybe that'll be part of it. So... This is your host, Mystic Guide, signing off for Enlightenment Radio. We'll be back tomorrow at the different time of 5 o'clock. I like that time with you. Thank you for listening. Thank you for being a part of our audience, and thank you for being so hospitable and listening. Spread the word that we are here, and we have a 24-7 music on our station. You have the Ukraine, theheartofhope.com which we will put up the news we put up today on there and be posted. Also, it's in Ukrainian language in about three days, two days, on a, uh, Spotify. So God bless you. May your days be brighter each day you get up and see the sun is still shining. God bless you.